Thank you, Ryan. Good morning, Redemption Parker. Good to see you guys. Hello, anyone out there? Good morning. Yeah, there you are. Yeah, welcome back, Oshmans. Good to see you guys in the house. Woo-woo. So, this morning, I'm actually going to need a little church participation. You guys cool with that? All right, excited now. We'll see if you feel about, if this, we'll see how you feel in about 20 minutes. Um, but, but right now, show of hands, okay? And, and I want you to keep your hand up the entire time, but show of hands, who right now is in a sweet season? You're in a sweet season. You have much to rejoice in. You're happy, cheerful, be in good spirits, okay? A lot of us. Keep your hands up. So if you get tired, you might have to switch arms. And you might be in another category as well, so you might have to put you know, both hands up, okay? But, but, but who, who, who right now is in a, a season of suffering, a, a season of hardship, a season of, of trial, okay? And keep your hands up. Finally, put your hand up if, if you're physically sick. Anyone physically sick, whether it's migraines or back pain or cancer, keep your hands up. Why don't you guys look around? It's a lot of hands. Okay, you can lower your hands. One more question. Raise your hand if you are 100% satisfied with your prayer life right now. Like time with the Lord couldn't be sweeter. All right, we got one kid. I love it. I love it. But again, look around, right? And and, and now he put his hand down. (laughs) Mom knows better. So this morning, as we finish up the book of James, the gospel on the ground, God has a word for all of us in here this morning. Whether you find yourself in a sweet season, season of suffering, a season of physical sickness, or maybe a combination of sorts, God has a word for us this morning. James wants us to know that the gospel on the ground is life together empowered by prayer. Life together empowered by prayer. So if you already closed your Bibles, open them back up to James. James chapter 5. After spending time this week in this text, I had quite a few question marks. Luckily, I lead a GC and on Wednesday night, we had a team sermon prep. Um, as, 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 As we bounced ideas off each other with this difficult passage. Man, why couldn't James just leave me with an easy passage? It's the last one. Doesn't he know that we're expecting a baby any day now? (laughs) The first commentary I did open up, Sam Alberry's, he he at least confirmed one thing right off the bat, my confusion. He said, this is well acknowledged as the hardest passage to understand in the whole letter. And perhaps the whole New Testament. Thanks, Sam. (laughs) Well, respected Acts 29 pastor and theologian, Dr. Sam Storms, took four Sundays. He took four weeks to explain to his church in Oklahoma what verses 13 through 18 mean. The more time I spent trying to understand this passage, the more I became convinced to do something a bit different this morning. We are a church committed to expository preaching. So by God's grace, I'll explain what this passage means by what it says. But instead of taking four Sundays to chop it up, we're going to do it in like 15 minutes. Because if we walk away 
from the book of James with anything, RP, I, I, I hope it's this, that we would not simply be hearers of the word, that we must be doers of the word. This is the gospel on the ground. James has been convicting this summer, right? True religion explained as visiting orphans and widows in their trouble. Exhortations to show no favoritism. To fulfill the, loyal, to fulfill the royal law by loving one another. He defined justification not by faith alone, but by authentic faith that actually works. Messages on taming the tongue. Wisdom from above versus wisdom from below. Not being a friend of the world as to make us God's enemies. Warnings against making plans without seeking God's counsel. Warnings against money, the dangers of money, possessions and comforts. A call for us to be men and women of our word. To be a people of humility. I hope you have enjoyed James as much as I have, as hard as it's been at times. I know some of you guys had a big smile on your face as soon as you saw the Oshmans walk in because we're almost done with the book of James. But you know, deep down, it's been good for you. We need the book of James. But if I just preached another sermon and we simply heard the word without at least spending one Sunday doing what it says... I think James would be shaking his head like, brah, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So this morning, part one of our time will actually feel very Anglican, going to be like a 15 minute homily. Then we'll spend a good amount of time getting a little Pentecostal, actually doing what it says. Amen? amen? Okay. Wow. That's a lot of amens. So James is speaking to us this morning. We all saw that we're all, we all had our hands raised. Look at the passage. Is anyone suffering? Is anyone cheerful? Is anyone sick? This is all of us. And what does the word of God call us to do? Pray. Pray. Praise. And confess. If anyone's freaking out as to what we might be doing later, maybe even tempted to leave church early this morning because I said the word Pentecostal, <laughs> prayer. That's what's in store. Prayer. So just relax. Plus, I'm a Baptist at heart anyway, so we can't get too crazy. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The suffering James is speaking about here, very broad. Trials of all kinds. At, at some level, all of us find ourselves constantly walking into or out of hard seasons. And his remedy? Prayer. All of us who find ourselves in sufferings big and small are called to hit our knees in prayer. God wants you to cast your burdens on him. It sounds easy, right? So what's the problem? Well, we all know what the problem is. Prayer. Prayer's the problem. Prayer is hard. We saw earlier that none of us pray as we would like to. 
I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He said, quote, well, let's now at any rate come clean. Prayer is irksome. An excuse to omit it is never unwelcome. When it is over, this casts a feeling of relief and holiday over the rest of the day. We are reluctant to begin. We are delighted to finish. While we are at prayer, any trifle is enough to distract us. Not while we are reading a novel or solving a crossword puzzle or maybe for us watching Netflix. Then he continues, and we know that we are not alone in this. In our men's Bible study that wrapped up last week, Barnabas Piper, he defined fearing God and in the whole, the, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, he's, he, he says this is the whole duty of mankind to fear God and obey him. But, but, but he defined fearing God as living as if God is real. Living as if God is real. Could you imagine if you lived as if God is real. Could you imagine what your prayer life would look like if you prayed as if God is real? We know marriage is real, so we put date nights on the calendar. And when we try, hopefully, to make it a priority to connect with our spouses. We know friendship is real, so we make sure we get coffee with our friends and we ask them, how are they doing? We know the Denver Broncos are real. So you organize your Sunday schedule around theirs. Cook all day, pregame, glue yourself to the TV for three hours, celebrate and weep. Probably more the latter with the Broncos. Go Rams. But do you live as if God is real? Do you pray as if God is real? And just a quick, quick application to prayer before we move on. If you desire to grow in prayer, which I think we all do. But plan out your prayer time. Just like you do with everything else important on your schedule. Plan it out. Work out your spiritual muscles of prayer until the duty of prayer becomes a delight that you can't afford to miss. And it will. It does. And like the Puritans used to say, pray until you pray. Use scripture or whatever other resources you need. Pray until you find yourself actually praying. This means some of us need to get out in nature, go on prayer walks, whatever you have to do to find that time and space to put distractions away and meet with your God. Oh, would we be a church, RP, that prays. Next, is anyone cheerful or the NIV happy, the NET in good spirits? Let him, let him sing praise. Are you in a sweet season? Bless the Lord. Give praise to the God who is showing you kindness and compassion and mercy. Like James has already showed us, every good and perfect gift is from God. Don't be shy to let him know how much you appreciate his blessings. And how ultimately they all point us to the greatest gift any of us could possibly have. Namely, his son, Jesus, who died for our sins so that we could be friends with God. So that we could give praise to God. The the gospel, friends, creates a community of worshipers. Okay, here's where things get a little sticky and I'll be as quick as I can. Verse 14. 
Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Sherlock Holmes would often say to Watson... Eliminate the impossible and whatever remains, however unlikely it may seem, must be the truth. That's what we're going to quickly do here this morning. There's three views that this verse is not talking about. And then I'll give my interpretation to this tough passage. The Roman Catholic Church used these verses for the sacrament they call extreme unction or last rites. Where someone is on their deathbed and just in the nick of time, a priest comes in with holy oil. He hears their confession. He lays the oil on them and they're spiritually saved right before death. Another view, the word of faith understanding. This is where someone has the so-called gift of healing. And after this one prays, the sick recover. Period. Think Benny Hinn. Finally, a solid view held by all cessationists and others, and cessationists say that the spiritual gifts have ceased. They passed away with the apostles and the closing of the canon. So this view says James cannot be speaking about physical healing, but rather spiritual strengthening. I think all these views are wrong. Some obviously worse than others. To the Catholic, James seems to be saying that 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 sins are to be confessed to one another, not a priest. Martin Luther's translation of this passage, he says, confess our sins to the reverend one another. And most scholars agree that it's clear James here is speaking of actual physical restoration. This is why the NIV translation makes verse 15 really clear when it says, we'll make the sick person well. So for the priest to absolve this person only spiritually before death doesn't satisfy. Likewise, a cessationist who I'm sympathetic towards since I've seen the abuse in some charismatic circles. But still, their interpretation is not convincing. As again, this is clearly speaking to the one who is physically sick, where actual physical healing occurs. I mean, look at the text. Is anyone sick? And the word the ESV translates save here for the sick is the Greek word sozo. It's used for physical healing and spiritual salvation depending on the context. Jesus many a times would heal someone physically and then tell them your faith has made you well. Sozo. The the context here in James is physical healing. But finally, the word of faith understanding is straight up dangerous. The Bible does speak of gifts, plural, of healings, plural. That's in 1 Corinthians 12. But not someone who has the gift of healing. To promise something that, that God may not grant is speaking falsely on behalf of God. And many have thrown their faith away because of it. Plus, even Paul himself, who healed many people, 
What do you do with his boy, Timothy, who had a jacked up stomach? He doesn't heal him. He doesn't tell him to get to the healing night because Peter's in town with the gift. He says, drink a little wine, bro. Life's hard. It'll help your tummy ache. His own thorn in the flesh, which I think was physical, proves this point. And what does he say? God's strength is made perfect in weakness. His grace and his grace alone is sufficient. We must interpret difficult texts in light of the whole Bible. And scripture is clear. God does heal. He can heal. And he does not always choose to heal. I think what James is saying in this passage is that though sin does not always lead to sickness, it can. Sometimes it does. We see in 1 Corinthians that some were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And what happened? Some became sick. Others even died. God's discipline for sin sometimes, not always, includes sickness. And just because you're sick doesn't mean God's disciplining you either. This is life in a fallen world. But sometimes even instant death, like Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, This is why James uses Elijah here as an example in verses 17 and 18. Of all the places he could have used Elijah's faith in answering prayers, he uses the time when God brought judgment on the people through drought because of sin. This judgment was due to idolatry. Elijah's prayer brought restoration. That's what's going on here. The oil, which we know from the Old Testament, was used when kings were were consecrated to God for service. Well, the oil poured out on this sick person represents them being set apart to God. It also represents the Holy Spirit, who, who, who is the one who would bring healing. It's put on them by the elders as sin has been confessed. Forgiveness of sins is closely tied in this passage to physical healing. So in this particular passage, James is speaking to the one whose physical sickness is due to sin. And in this interesting scenario, sins are confessed, oil is poured. And here, the prayer of faith, or in the Greek, literally the prayer of the faith, brings healing. This isn't typical faith. D.A. Carson says, quote, it's the God-given ability without fakery or trite exhortations to believe what you do not really believe, to trust God for a certain blessing not promised in Scripture. Another theologian says, the prayer of the faith is best identified as knowledge of God's will for a particular situation when no scriptural guidance is available. When God grants this supernatural faith, this faith where one knows that God is about to move, a gift of healing occurs. This is what James is talking about in our passage. Now, I've never experienced the the prayer of faith or the prayer of the faith that James is talking about, but I do know this passage also calls us to ordinary obedience. Remember, the the gospel on the ground in this final passage is life together empowered by prayer. Look at verse 16 again. Therefore, in light of all this, confess your sin 
commitments to one another and pray for one another. As Christians, we don't need a priest. The church is the priesthood of believers. Through the Holy Spirit, we are in Christ and have access to God as Father. Let's come boldly to the throne of grace. But in this passage, there's a community aspect of prayer and confession, which doesn't always jive well with, with our American individualistic mindset. James doesn't say, confess your sin to God, which we know from scripture we are also called to do. Here he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. This is why we, this is why we stress our gospel community groups and, and, our, and our core groups here at RP. When you show up to core group, you show up ready to confess sin to be known and to know others. At our GCs, the, the reason we have our GCs is, the, is so that we can live out the one another's in Scripture, like this one, pray for one another. So let's spend some time now being doers of the word and not hearers only.